Hi everyone, Matt here and welcome back to the show. Just a quick programming note before we get into things. The sound quality on this episode is a little poor. Don't ask me why, as my setup hasn't changed. Uh, The audio sounded fine while we were recording, uh, but I can only apologise and hope that you can still enjoy what turned out to be a fascinating discussion. Thanks for understanding. They always say that you should never turn your hobby into work. And while there's certainly some truth in that, I've always thought that it was far too cynical for my tastes. After all, the flip side to that phrase is that your work should always involve things you don't love, and who wants that? It is true, however, that creating comics is difficult in more ways than one might think. Creating art consistently for an ongoing comic series can become challenging, and if you're not careful, you could find the grind of the process makes you resentful of the craft itself. That's why you should always be finding different ways to engage with the work you do. That could be uh, inserting tiny background details into your work, expanding the world you're making with small details and easter eggs to brighten up your own journey as much as the reader's. Or you can challenge yourself with the format of the work itself. You can create work on an unfamiliar platform or with different tools or for different social media sites or any number of other ideas. Perhaps the old adage shouldn't be never turn your hobby into your work, but rather take care of your work and it will always feel like a hobby. My name's Matt Loon and today on the show I'm joined by Ted Brandt and Rose Stein to discuss their creative process and how they ensure they never get bored. This is That's the Issue. Hi, I'm Rose Stein. I'm a penciler for, most recently, the Image Comics uh, Crowded. Hi, I'm Ted Brent, and uh, yeah, I'm the inker on the Crowded currently. Welcome both to the show. Uh, it's lovely to speak to you. Um, I think I saw you both at Thought Bubble, but that was such a crazy weekend. Um that I everything's a blur that weekend, which makes it sound like I was horrendously drunk the entire time. But obviously, you know, no, that's, that, only, that's only that, partly true. No, that, that's very understandable. We <laughs> don't really drink at all, and we still have trouble remembering anything specific from it. There's just so yeah. many people. It's hard to remember everybody. It's, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so many people. There are about three people I'm certain I said hello to, and that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And there are only three that you remember seeing and saying hello, and then the rest are just blurry faces as they walk by. Yeah. Th- there's dozens I'm fairly sure I probably did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Can't be sure. Might just be walking past. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, how many conventions do you guys do? Do you do many? Do you do like no, circuits? No. Just, just the one, um, mostly. Okay. Um, this year we're going to uh, double our figures up to two. <laughs> oh, you slow down now. Now you be <laughs> careful. <laughs> so is it just so? Is what is the other one you're going to be doing this year, or is that a a bit of a a secret no, at the moment? No, um, Swansea Comic Con. Yeah, Swansea Comic Con in um, in April. Um, oh, brilliant. Yeah, it's just it's a um, a one day show. Yeah, that I yeah. don't remember the date of. Right <laughs> it's in April. Yeah, in I'm, April. I can edit this later, so it sounds like you're saying it at the right time. I'm, I'm that good. I'll just put the, <laughs> put the slip the date in seamlessly. <laughs> um. So yeah, let's talk about Crowded then, because it's 
like genuinely a fantastic series and the like the the fan and critics reactions to it have been amazing um like what how have you found the reaction to the series since it's come out astonishing really it's it's very weird to have people engage with what you do and in such a way that we've had people talk to us about it yeah yeah because it's the first time we've done work where people have actually been genuinely excited by what we're doing which has been a really really nice feeling yeah yeah absolutely and it's one of those series that is like very engaging isn't it like from page one panel one it's like it automatically just drags you along on an adventure whether you want to go or not <laughs> it's just like you like whether the characters want to or not either because like they're kicking and screaming partly and it's just drags you through this series it's so energetic you know how do you put that energy onto the page you know how does that, how does that start as a process for you when you first get the script well i mean the process is constantly changing. Um, so what we're doing now is nothing like what we were doing in issue one. So we, we constantly keep updating how we're working on a, for a whole number of reasons. Um, just, you know, our process had to change quite drastically last year because I, ha- I took on a second job for a bit of extra cash. So was able to be less helpful in the planning stages. But then, yeah, um, usually we'll plan out the issue together where we'll go through and work out um how much space everything's going to be taking up so yeah. dividing up the page yeah we'll divide up the page. page and panels together we'll um i'll work out what the key moments in this in the scripts are to make sure that we are getting the most impact out of the panel you'll work out which which camera angles yeah figure out the shots just exactly how that's going to be depicted in each panel i mean in terms of energy then i think it that's something that we're getting better at as we go and a lot of that is to do with i don't know i think it's that we're getting more comfortable actually putting ourselves in it because i'm basically a cartoon myself <laughs> <laughs> i'm quite you over draw a lot of like real life inspiration oh yes but there's a lot of um photo reference from both of us for poses and facial expressions yeah i definitely think that as the book's gone on we've gotten better at putting emotion into things because as it's gone on, it's getting more and more cartoony. And you know, in as much as it's not needing to hew quite so heavily to the sort of slightly realistic look that we were going for in the beginning. And the result of that is that as you go, as you work through the book, you can definitely see it getting more emotive in the art as it goes through. Yeah. Is that more as a result of the type of scripts that you're receiving, or is that more of a um like a process thing for the two of you are you, are you finding that you're kind of getting more comfortable in the kind of style that you want to go for or are you finding that the actual tone of the book is shifting as you move through the story the tone of the script hasn't shifted much mm. we're shifting the way we do things because partly because we get bored easily so <laughs> change is a very nice thing for us yeah but especially on a long-form project and it's also just picking up new skills like getting better at anatomy and stuff means that you can break it more yeah yeah exactly the more you know the rules the easier it is to break them in a way that looks convincing yeah yeah talk to me about the process between the two of you then because i read in an interview that um you got 
different approaches to the creative process so um i think ted you said that rose more creative with the visual storytelling but you're more of a process and refinement kind of thing is that something that is still true now or is that something that has evolved as well i think no i think that's the only stable factor really. <laughs> everything else shifts but i'm better at analysis yeah I'm a messy, emotive yeah. person. Yeah, and I'm much better at rigid, organised structuring. Mm. So between the two of us, we can figure it out. But yeah. And so tell me how you came to uh, get to like get together with this project. So how did Crowded come about for you both? Well, um, it had been several months since we'd had our last Marvel gig, and they just didn't have anything else currently for us because you know we hadn't. We hadn't had a um, a full run on anything. We'd just been doing fill-in gigs as and where they had space. Mm. So and there just wasn't many of those around at that time. No, so it was like, oh, what is the job? Yeah, we were starting to get seriously worried because I mean, it's, it's still the case now, but it was more the case then. But we're not well known. We don't have editors lining up to. Uh, we don't necessarily have name recognition. No, not at all. <laughs> We're, you know, very, very, very few people know who we are. And so we were, you know, kind of freaking out at that point. And um, you were talking to Juliet, who is the editor on Crowded. Yeah. And, you know, she happens to you know, know a lot of comic experiences. And so when I was, you know, talking to her about being worried about uh, our employment prospects, she'd mentioned that um, Chris Abello happened to be looking for artists. And so... You know, she got put us in touch, and we had a had a Skype call. And how do you feel that the um like the series, uh, or the concept of the series? How do you feel like that kind of gels with your like creative style? Do you feel as though did when you first heard about it, do you think, oh yeah, this is definitely something that we can get on board with, or is this something where you're like, okay, this is a little out of our comfort zone, but we're definitely kind of giving it a give it a go kind of thing. When we heard the concept, we were definitely like, oh, yes, we want to do this. This sounds like a buddy comedy, fast paced adventure type thing. Yeah. That wasn't necessarily what it was meant to be. <laughs> no, I, I think we ended up shifting the tone of the book a lot because it was originally, I think, intended to be rather more serious and possibly a bit grimmer than it's become. Well, we can't, we can't do serious that well. <laughs> like, we... Certainly not. So, certainly not at the exclusion of everything else. No, we, we like we like funny stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean that really works for this concept. I think it's it's such a a wild and as you say, like kind of cartoonish concept as well, that the idea of you know, it, it does take something that is like socially and culturally like uh, topical really at the moment, like the gig economy, but just stretches it out to uh an extreme. Uh, that to the point where it becomes almost farcical, like satirical to the point of farce, but only in the like in the way that you guys are presenting it as well is so is so energetic and so colourful um, in the in the characters that you're depicting. Um, obviously, you know, colourful in the sense of you know Trina Farrell's colours as well, which you know could not um, you know could not be any more perfect for this series. I don't think. No, no I, she's, absolutely. She's really great. <laughs> <laughs> And so how did you guys get into comics to begin with? Like you, you know, one of you does a lot more penciling, one of you does a lot more inking. But how did you individually get started in doing in making comics? Well, I mean, it was complete shambles of a routine, really. (laughs) (laughs) We we met at university 
I had originally wanted to do animation, but I do not have the patience for that. <laughs> so, so we found, found the comics course that Ted was on, and mm. that's where we met. Yeah, so we met there, then we tried going off into the illustration world, just to use the, you know some skills at least. So we thought that'd be easier to get into. But then having acquired an agent that on the promise that they would help us develop and so that then we could get gigs. It didn't go well. They then refused to develop us and just criticised us for not developing ourselves. Oh. Didn't get us any jobs. Yeah. So that kind of set us back a lot because they had a non-compete clause in their contract so we couldn't get even go and look for work. So that slowed everything down a lot. And then we kind of, we'd almost given up and we're starting to look for real jobs when just coincidentally, I, you know, saw that... Um, Jeremy Whitley, Jeremy Whitley of um, you know Princess, Pirate Princess, and Unstoppable War fame. Um, He's been doing so many other and things. And My Little Pony as well. But, yeah. Didn't he do some Vampirella? Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. So that's I mean, what he's been yes. doing. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, but then when when we when we were talking to him, he was Jeremy Whitley of Princess fame. Yeah. And you know, they, it was the third volume of Princess was struggling because um, the artist had, had to drop out for personal reasons. So he was sort of desperately, to, you know, seeking around, and we knew that neither of us could do it on our on our own. So we decided to try doing it together. And that 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 really works. Like I can see the you know the working relationship between the two of you like comes through on Crowded, um, because there is such a um, such a synergy when it comes to the yeah, the the line work on the book, the the you know the the depth of of energy that goes into like each page seems seems to you know really work for you both um and especially because you've you've chosen to take on two of the most difficult like genres to to mash together on a project because you're doing high high stakes action which you know seems like mind blowing to be able to depict on the page but also comedy and and visual comedy at that as well um is this something that you that you love love about books when you when you read books yourselves or is this something that you you just want to you know create the content you want to see in the world yeah i'm not sure it's anything i particularly look for in a book necessarily but what i what i want it's the kind of thing i look for because i'm I'm a picky reader yeah (laughs) for me it's not the sort of thing i like reading like or it's not that i don't don't like reading it but it's not the sort of thing i seek out as my first as my first choice generally but yeah yeah I in the same way that there are loads of things I love reading but wouldn't ever want to make mm. or would or even if I did wouldn't think I was stupid for it. Yeah. As far as the mashup goes then we couldn't have had the high action without the comedy. Yeah. So much of so much of that has been added in by us a lot you know um as a, you know the book wasn't designed to be a comedy at first. Mm. So all of the visual humor you know, all of the slapstick is 100% our edition because that's one thing we both love slapstick yeah 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 <laughs> well how did chris feel about that then when you you know when you had the initial conversations you know what did you how did you approach the idea of saying you know this is quite a serious concept how about we add a little bit of humor to it i don't think we actually had that conversation <laughs> we didn't we just did it you just carried on with it yeah yeah well it's and lucky because chris is very understanding oh yeah so yeah yeah and then yeah no um we... well, it was a case of like oh sometimes we're going to need to split up some of these panels just to make clarity of storytelling and stuff he's like oh fine that's fine that's fine yeah yeah he's adding panels bah, it's fine <laughs> yeah he's, he's very very understanding about all that and so you know yeah we 
started seeing comedy potential because in a script that had the had some dialogue that could be funny if it mm. was appropriately split up. Yeah. Into uh, to, to allow reactions. exactly to allow reactions because it's that thing that you know some of the dialogue wouldn't inherently read as funny if it didn't have the space to thrive and the space for that that beat and then a reaction. And so by adding that sort of stuff in, we could just draw humour out of what was already there. And then you know Chris started getting into it as well. So yeah, yeah. if you found that like he's he's writing his scripts are leaning into your art style a lot more now. Do you think? To an extent, I mean, like, because it's it's still crowded, mm. right? So there's still a lot of that initial aim in there. Well, it's but, the thing of that, um, as people, we think very differently. Yeah. yeah. So he, he will add his elements of humour, but they will not necessarily be the same elements of humour that we have. So we'll work with what the humour he put in, but we'll also end up putting in some of our own in places. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of situation. Yeah. It goes back to what you were saying before about the idea of the two of you bringing your own things into the project, but also managing to, you know, to find a middle ground and work together and enhance each other's work. It's the same, I imagine, with Chris coming on. Like he does what he does and, you know, he doesn't need to he doesn't need to give you the humour. You can find the humour in what he's writing and you can find the humour in how you pace and how you structure the pages. Uh, yeah, but it yeah. doesn't necessarily rely on him to to you know give you jokes or set you up, for example. No, I mean because that, that's the thing. Like, oh, we have to do the best job we can and and entertain ourselves because if we don't if we're not entertaining ourselves, the odds we're going to entertain anyone else. Mm, pretty yeah. Low. Yeah. And plus, you get bored easily. So as you said, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I mean, but hell, the, the the boredom is why the. The, the boredom avoidance is why we started with the um, all the background gags as well. Yeah. That, that was something just to entertain ourselves. Have a bit of a giggle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me about some of those. Like, what was? How did you start forming some of those things in like in, in the first issue specifically? I'm not sure there was that many in the first issue. No. I don't, I don't remember. It's no, been we, such we, a long time we, now. we stuck to the script fairly rigidly then. It's just as as things were going on. Oh, and... there was one background gag. Which one? It wasn't so much a background gag and like the signage and stuff, but in that big panel with the um, going through the house. Yeah. And I thought there was a bit of blank space. So yeah. I put dog peeing in the carpet. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. Yeah. 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 That wasn't actually in the script. No, that's but right. There was the line on that page of don't let that thing like shit in my house or something. So yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's have a dog peeing on a door. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like in terms of the businesses, then that came in later things. It was just. I think it, the, the first time it happened was in issue three with the strip mall, wasn't it? Um, when we did the coffee shop and the comic shop. Cause mm. It might have been before that, because there was the, like, the Krispy Kremlin stuff. I'm not sure. That, like, that might have been issue three. That yeah. Been, yeah I think that, the beginning of issue three. So I think it was by issue three. It's just we had loads of background space because we needed to be showing a strip mall, but Chris hadn't asked for any businesses. Mm. And we just, well, you know, if we're going to have to make a load of business things up, we might as well enjoy ourselves doing it no oh yeah making steve's coffee shop <laughs> and all of that so yeah we just and also is that thing of it's a really underrated form of world building because actually everything we've done is an extrapolation of where america is right now and just mm. making weirder yeah yeah because you know, we've got the the physical outlet for crowdfunded sex toys in pink starter We've got um, 
I like Lager Than Life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. But, um, you know, the, the... Which, which fan that doesn't actually play so well in America because they say Lager differently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like puns. Like I'm always falling short of puns because I used to have a website called Awesome Source. But I, I spelt source as in S-O-U-R-C-E. So it's like a source for information. But yeah, of course, yeah. like Americans don't read that the same. Uh-huh. They go, awesome, awesome source. <laughs> it's just like, well, no, it's yeah, it's it, in, in English. That sounds exactly the same as the what I'm like the pun I'm playing on. But no, it yeah. just didn't, didn't track at all. Yeah. Yeah. But then like we try to make sure that the world building like really kind of just, I don't know, like pushes everything that's going on further. So Crispy Kremlin, the idea that. Krispy Kreme, which is one of the biggest international brands symbolising America, because is now run run by Russians. Mm, yeah. Or um, um, Marie's Condos, where Marie <laughs> Kondo is now shilling incredibly expensive tiny apartments. Yeah, yeah. apartments. Do you, was this, this? Yeah, I mean, do you do you sit there like coming up with these stuff like just kind of brainstorming together or was this something that was very specific for this that one issue kind of thing or do you sit there and, and think about these kind of things uh all, all the time because what i'm trying to say is like you you guys make the the idea of coming up with kind of visual comedy and comic pacing within a comic you you guys sound like you're naturals at it but it is a very difficult thing to capture in comics like comedy and comedy timing in comics is extremely tricky and it is rare to see it done right. And uh, crowded is definitely a, a, an example of where it is done right. You know, is that something that you feel is just is just something that you, you do or do you do you find inspiration from other other creators or other sources? I think it comes from watching a lot of comedy TV shows growing up like Red Dwarf. Yeah. And. Mm. And also, you know, really, you know, other really good animated shows and stuff mm. like um, Avatar: The Last Airbender, exquisite physical comedy. Yes, yeah, when yeah. They it. So things like that have been a really big, in uh, you know, really big informer of what we do. I also really like that we're able to put comedy timing in in comic books because I have a tendency to gabble. So mm. I can never actually properly tell a joke because I'm always rushing to the punchline. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, as far as the like the world building background gags go, they're literally all in the moment. Yeah, we don't have a list. Yeah. <laughs> when like, when can we shoehorn crispy Kremlins in? <laughs> yeah, no, there's it's just well, we've got we've got some we've got spaces here. We need some billboards. Uh, let's go for a, a drink break and quickly think up some stupid ideas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the Charlie's TV um, like TiVo thing. That was like 20 minutes just coming up with as many different stupid com- yeah. comedy names for TV shows as possible. Yeah, and yeah. about half of them made it on there. So there were plenty that weren't very good. Oh, yeah. yeah. None of which I can remember. No, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but, only yeah. the best of the best make it into the book. Oh, yeah. I mean, often it's the onlyest of the best because we, <laughs> um, like a lot of the billboards and uh, business names, I don't know, they, they just happen mostly the, 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 it's like if we can make what if one of us can make the other one chuckle at it it's like yeah that's good enough to go in yeah the tivo list was i think the only time we struggled yeah i don't think it was that we struggled necessarily it's that we were just like we want to make we just kept going and going and going because like we're having too much fun making these up so it's like let's cross off these ones and put in these other ones yeah i mean there were some that we, we knew were bad as we were saying probably but i don't but remember that i don't remember <laughs> what they were but i definitely remember like some of them we were self-rejecting right out of the gate yeah 
<laughs> so we, it was a, that was the, the one thing that we actually had to put a lot of effort into because again it was about trying to look at where american culture is now and see what it would degrade to in 20 years time let's go back to the first issue then because the I, I've spoken about this recently with a few people because it made it onto uh, Shelf Dust's uh, top 50 number one issues, yeah, uh, and like nice. voted by critics and journalists, which yeah must be firstly that must that must be amazing for you guys. Yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like every other honour that Crowded's had. It's fantastic and also baffling. Yeah, but I mean the the first issue is 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 brilliant because it does do everything that you want a first issue to do. And you talked about, you know, the fact that you guys have stuck fairly closely to the script. But there is a lot of a lot of your own kind of signature flair, you know, if you want to call it that, like in, in the first issue specifically. And, you know, we talked about it briefly earlier, that page where you're going through the house. Um, I mean, how long did that take you guys to to plan and prep? So, I mean, if, for, for those not like, listening and not seeing it at the moment, you know, this is a, a three-story house that we see like a like an old-fashioned cutaway isn't it like what we, we used to see in kind of magazines of, of you know showing the, the inside of a of the ship and things like that and you see yeah. all three all three floors and the two characters are walking through this house and as they're walking through it they're having this conversation about the do's and don'ts of, of Vita's house what she should and shouldn't do one of which is the dog shouldn't shit on the floor in which case he you know obeys that rule by peeing on the floor instead but how did that you know, how did that kind of thing come about for you? Because that is, again, that's another thing that looks, you know, looks like you, 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 you're naturals at it. But again, that's a, that's a extremely impressive page. Well, Chris sort of described what the house was meant to look like because he wanted to have a sort of a doll's house type thing going on with it. The problem was that the house he described was far wider than it was tall, so... which made it a very bad fit for comic. <laughs> So we couldn't do the traditional just straight head on type thing of just cutting the front off. So that was why that was why the um, the three quarter angle was chosen. But I mean, like that house exists as a SketchUp model. We we modelled and built the entire thing. Wow. Okay. Up yeah. To and including researching like the the um, the flooring Thickness. thicknesses of and the how how evenly spaced the joists needed to be between the two levels of floor in that era of house and all of that like we've we tried to make it as like it's not fully realistic but it at least suggests to be fair we probably put more research in than we needed to <laughs> yeah but like, that sounds yeah. amazing yeah. yeah so we, we do have a still got a, a full 3d model of the house and then so in order to simulate that um sketchup has a wonderful tool called section plane where mm. you basically just slide this um one-dimensional plate this like you know completely non-thick plane over the model and as, as it starts touching the model everything becomes invisible beyond where it touches that plane is. so oh, wow. um, so that's how we could get this exact thing so then the you house slice bits off yeah. essentially without actually yes losing. yeah and like so the the actual structure of that page was was kind of filled out with using this 3d model then yeah yeah we were trying to figure out the best way to put in everything Chris had described that he wanted in there, but actually make it fit. Yeah. And what's your relationship like with Trina Farrell? Because her, I spoke to her on the show uh, previously, and she talked a lot about the, you know, the the work that she puts in, which is, you know, absolutely amazing. And the the fact that the the characters straight off the bat have got a very distinctive colour palette. 
Um, you know, they've got something identifying about them. So Charlie's got the bright pink hair, Vita's got the, the yellow jacket, and then that becomes their kind of characteristics. And she was saying that as the as the series progresses and as these characters become closer entwined and they they start to empathize with each other, she started to kind of flip those colours around so that they can, you know, you can start to subtly visualize these two characters growing closer together. Um, and which, you, you know, to me is, is wonderful storytelling. Um, and how does that kind of work with with what you guys do? Is there is there conversations you have together or is that something that, you know, much like what you guys do with Seb's uh, scripts, uh, Chris's scripts, sorry, you you know, this is something that Trina does with your with your work, with your line work. Oh, no, that's all yeah. true. Yeah, she yeah. is. I think the only thing we've ever had about colour was the initial designs for Charlie and Vita. Like, well, these are the basic colour parts we were thinking of going with. And then she went and took them and has made so much more using them yeah yeah no like we've never needed to give her a problem for anything she's very very good at working out and it's it's so like visually unique as well isn't it like seeing it when you see it on the comic book shelf like it it stands out doesn't it you know and that has a lot to do with with trina's colors yeah she's absolutely one of the best working right now Mm. very bad yeah yeah so let's we talked a little bit earlier about the the kind of comics that you do enjoy. Um, so let's talk about um, you know what is it that you you look for when you you know when you consider something like oh this is this is a comic I want to pick up this is a comic I want to read. What kind of things are you looking for? What what um, what are you into when, when it comes to comics? I mean speaking personally, I've got very broad tastes. Mm. I the art is usually a bigger factor for me than the writing. Right. As in as much as great art can excuse a mediocre plot but i'm very unlikely to find that great writing will excuse mediocre art yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah, genre wise and style wise absolutely all over the map for me um i'm equally at home in you know things like um john thickman and tom coker's black monday murders or in um uh something like um dc's young justice or um I think now um what what have you been reading recently? Oh, <laughs> it's been, giant days. Yeah, giant days. There you go. That's a good example. Yeah, I mean, there's not anything particular that I'm looking for really. Mm. Um, there's a lot that I'll happily read. Just there's nothing that I'm looking for apart from I don't know. It's hard. It's very hard to quantify, but mm. the sense of creators having fun is the biggest draw. For me. Yeah, because yeah, there are a lot of books mean, yeah. where there are a lot of books where the creators have worked hard and clearly believe in their product, but that's not necessarily the same thing as them having fun. Mm. <laughs> and that covers all different genres as well, doesn't it? Because, you know, they could, you know, you could be having fun in by putting comedy and putting jokes and putting humor and putting heart into something. But at the same time, there's, there's the kind of you know, people having fun where they're like really sinking their teeth to a good horror story or something, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, it, it it's not to say that I, you know, when I say I want the creators, I want to see where creators are having fun. That doesn't mean I want the book to be funny. Yeah, yeah. At all. Yeah, so because your, your tastes are rather narrower than mine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tell me about your taste, bro. I tend not to read stuff that's quite as intellectual as you. <laughs> I, I do have some um, processing issues with information. Mm. So certain things I, I, find too dense to read yeah so i can't quite follow the plot properly it i like to get lost in the book and there's something that i just 
it's it's too much work for me to understand what's happening to get lost in it yeah that kind of like when when it starts getting too dense you have to take yourself out of the book to start thinking about what you've just read and what it means rather than actually just getting absorbed in the story yes i'm like i said before i'm a very emotive person so a lot of what i read is to do with how it makes me feel Mm. and if i'm having to spend too much time figuring out what is happening i end up not feeling it yeah 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 that makes sense yeah so what are some examples of, of good comic books for you what are some of your favorites I, I really want to catch up on the other volumes of Headlopper because I really enjoyed that. Yeah. That's the first one. I, I love, is it, is it Agatha? Or, yeah. Yeah. Agatha. She's she's so funny too. Yeah. Just yeah. Everything she comes out with. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's so easily readable for me because there's not too much visual noise or anything. And so mm. for a book that's got some violence in it, it's very calming. <laughs> <laughs> There's comfort to be found in it. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And um, I'm also really into Giant Days, though. Again, need to catch up with the the ending. I find such great fun from the characters, and John Arson's writing is excellent. I always yeah. I always enjoy his humour, and uh, I've always loved Max's work. Yeah, ever since they're all at university. Yeah. <laughs> Max has got a wonderful. Uh, wonderful comedic style as well the pacing that they that they bring to that book as well is is absolutely fantastic isn't it yeah that's something they definitely like they've definitely always had since university but it's clearly gotten better yeah yeah well let's talk about some of the books then because um what i like to do on the show is get you to um choose some books that you love talking about or love to talk about um specifically and so to get to know you through the comics that you love and um, ted let's start with you then what um, what have you bought with you to talk about today well um mine might be a little bit of a wandering thing because the the one that i said to you that i do is um, mm. um never as bad as you think by Catherine and stuart imminent yes but i yeah. might segue around some other imminent specific works as well as i go <laughs> because sure, you, yeah. if you start talking about the eminence you, you yeah you well, can't stop <laughs> no but, i mean that's largely true but also there's the fact that never as bad as you think is not only physically out of print but digitally out of print because they took it off comicsology at some point yes yeah so, well that, that that was what i was going to say because like i what i like to do before i start these shows is always to kind of do a little bit of research if i've not read some if i have read something before i'll reread it or if i haven't read it before i like to uh, you know depending on how big it is i like to at least get some of the way through it but this was you know impossible to find basically i could see i think i might have found one on ebay maybe but um yeah I, 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 yeah but um there's yeah, a couple so... that float around but um yeah it had a small print run from boom mm back in i believe it was 2006 i will just double check that in the uh, print notes so yes i think it was 2006 yeah yeah oh no 2008 i do Ah. 2008 um but um yeah so and then it was out of print for a very long time and then it was briefly back on um, they briefly brought it to comicsology a few years ago and then uh, at the same time they brought their um other book mini like mini chat book that they did together snipe also Mm -hmm. went on comicsology that both have now been removed, which I think is a terrible loss, actually. It's both incredible works. But anyway, Never As Bad As You Think is wonderful. It is possibly my favourite comic in existence. It's... Wow, okay, yeah. There's... It's deceptively smart, because mm. you, if you look at it purely shallowly, then Stuart's got very exaggerated 
cartooning and it you know it's completely abandoned the ideas of full consistency of of figures the you know they stay recognizable but never what you, you know what an animator would call on model um, yeah yeah and the plot doesn't actually exist there isn't a plot to it because what it what it does is shows Catherine's unmitigated genius in as much as the way it was written was as a weekly webcomic of one page a week for 52 weeks and each week's um script was prompted by one of those illustration friday type blogs where they put up several words as a prompt for an illustration oh, right, Catherine okay. took them for the script and created this phenomenal narrative that i mean you know the um the episode um 22 short films about springfield yes yeah yeah well you've got those narratives that segue around each other and you know uh, one one part of one narrative will find itself physically adjacent to the other narrative and that's when the camera switches tracks and mm. carries on so it's doing that right okay with phenomenally deft humor and just ridiculous circumstances is oh i yeah there is a lifetime of learning that you could get from these 52 pages yeah yeah it sounds fascinating so are all the are all the characters related in some way or are they just kind of tangentially kind of segued between each one so each page is something different but cleverly the first page and the last page loop on each other um thematically and with the characters that um that are involved right so because presumably they, they they didn't have enough they didn't make it complicated enough for themselves yeah so so the whole thing ends up being a perfect a literally perfect circle where it it ends right where it began mm. despite being in a totally different part of the country and you know with a person who has never been seen on camera yeah, yeah. up to that point and yet it's exactly who uh you know, it's exactly where where it starts. It's, it's astonishing in its in its deceptive simplicity because it seems really simple, and yet it's the perfect example of while nothing is fussed over, everything is thought about. Yeah, yeah, I can I, I know exactly what you mean by that. Like the idea that presenting like the presentation of it because I've, I've looked at some images you know you can you can google it and you can have a look at some images on google images and you can see a couple of the pages and it is the style of it is very simplistic it's almost like um like a comic strip isn't it like that you'd see yeah. in the in the newspaper um and you know which is a, a much paired back style that we're used to seeing from the imminence but um the complexity lies in what you've what you've just been describing about it like how the story segues how the the challenge that they've seemingly given themselves uh narratively by creating in such a way like taking the inspiration that way oh, yeah. um, well i mean all all the complexity is catherine's yeah yeah phenomenal yeah the simplicity is Stuart's, and that in itself is no less genius because you know this is a guy who can draw the hell out of absolutely everything under the sun mm. you know if you ask a fair number of american artists or, or at least artists working in the American comics market, who the best working artist is, they'll say Stuart Eminem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, and he's got that reputation for a damn good reason. But here, he's completely abandoned what he often goes for, because all of that is superfluous. And mm. the simplest, so where Catherine's complexity is a sign of her genius, in that 
she's made this incredibly deft script that's full of wit and really phenomenal comedy timing and you know flow of narrative through all these different interconnectivity moments then Stuart's real genius is pairing back everything till all you're left with is the bare essentials of what you need to deliver the script in in a perfect manner you know because every every single line serves an explicit purpose which is something you can't say about almost any other art in comics yeah yeah. because all of us overcomplicate things and to some extent somewhere there's i you know i don't know of any other artist where i I, yeah i don't or at least i don't know any other comic that i would look at and say there are no superfluous lines here Mm. and yet in this book you can't find any Rose, so, um, have you read this, Rose, uh, as, as Ted uh, shared this I, one with you? I have. I mm. really do enjoy the simplicity of the artwork. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I had noticed the cyclical thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you need to go back and reread it now. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I really do. Yeah. Um, so while I can't recommend it to your listeners because they can't get hold of it for less than a large amount of money, Mm. then I will instead say that if that description appeals, the Eminons have also been doing a completely free webcomic over on their Instagram feed, Grass of Parnassus. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Yeah. And that is a similar idea in as much as it's a rolling interconnected narrative that Mm. doesn't have a plot and is just weaving and so it's got a lot of the same level of deftness of script, a lot of the same level of fascinating interconnectivity. Stuart's putting a lot more into the art this time around. Right. But crucially, because it's being serialised on Instagram, it's all being, it's all done in predictable square formatting. So basically like a Polaroid comic. Yeah. And yes, so yeah. It's, it's really interesting and it's all completely free and accessible because it's just serialised on Instagram. So everyone should absolutely go and check that out because that is possibly the best comic i mean it's on hiatus right now um but it will be returning and so while it while it was being serialized it was the probably the best comic being published in the american market and it was for free on instagram yeah that is that's wild and they they it seems like they like to to put um restrictions on themselves or at least challenge themselves with the format in some way so this sounds like yeah. a, a, a spiritual successor to um, to uh, the previous book because it does seem to use that same kind of restrictive format. So in this case, it's the you know it's the square format of Instagram. Yeah, all of all of their works together impose some form of stylistic limitation or boundary that allows them to then you know explore some form of experiment. So if you look at um, say their incredible book moving pictures that was all done in very 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 stark cartoon shapes with black and white in in black and white and it was done and subsequently printed on watercolor paper mm. so it's you know again very unique look to it and or um if you look at their other their longer and utterly magnificent book russian olive to red king mm. then that becomes a really interesting experimental piece towards the end where they start changing what the idea of a comic might be for them. And, you know, every, 
it's really, really worth looking into the projects they do together because I love Stuart's art or Catherine's writing, no matter what they're doing. Yeah. But when they're doing stuff together, they make genuinely exciting comics. Mm. I mean, is that something that appeals to you as a creator as well as a fan? Because you, yes. you, know, you both talked earlier about the idea of, of not wanting to get bored with your work. And it sounds almost as though the Imminents are doing something similar, which is, you know, they're, they're, they're challenging themselves to, to not do something that is just panels on a page. They're channel, challenging themselves in the form. They're challenging themselves in the, in the structure. They're challenging themselves in how they, how they distribute the work as well. Um, is that so you know you you yes was immediate (laughs) so so that's that you know that's obviously something that appeals to you as well is that something that you that you think has inspired your how you work now to to challenge yourself to not be bored or is that something that you think is just how comics should be you know that is just kind of a well you know yes of course that is that is what I love about comics I think it's definitely something we want to aim towards Mm. yes I'd say I'd say at the moment, just um, the amount of work that goes into crowded is currently the challenge. Yeah, <laughs> and like because the the other thing is like for them, it's the projects that they do together where they really push things, and so then they have complete creative control. Which you know I would never begrudge you what you know um, working as part of a team for crowded because everyone we're working with brings something fantastic to the table. So. Yeah. It's not that I, I dislike working as part of a team, but we would like to move further and further into doing stuff ourselves. Yeah. Eventually. Is that wanting know. to see what we're fully capable of? Yeah. Thing. But then I think we've got years left of needing to work to work out what it is we like doing and can do. Oh yeah. On other projects before we segue into this into that sort of thing, but certainly. What they do together is definitely a long-term goal for us. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose, as you say, like you, you're still kind of learning the craft as you go on Crowded. And even if that's just in the the schedule that you're keeping as well, because you know this is a, an ongoing series that is, um, you know, it is monthly release, but you have had you did have a hiatus or a brief break recently. Um, but that is a continuous schedule for you guys as well. So for both of you, that is that is something that is is new to you, but it's something that is challenging in and of itself, I imagine. Oh yeah, this is the longest book we've ever done. Yeah, mm. I think what it's taught. One of the things it's taught is that there's a certain like length of time that we have the stamina for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and is what is one of the reasons why overall we would prefer to move after this start drifting towards graphic novel market, you know, book market rather than yeah. monthly comics, because a year is a great amount of time for us to devote to a thing. Yeah. And doing a graphic novel in a year is very achievable. Whereas 12 issues of a comic in a year, pushing your luck. Mm, yeah. Six issues. We could definitely do six issues in a year, but then, you know, that's not enough to live off of. So it's, it's a very difficult thing to find exactly where we fit but i think definitely book market is more us mm, yeah yeah so well, we... there's also also some of that is to do with style stuff which is that you know critically crowded is very well received but sales are middling you know it's not if we weren't financially all right in as much as we're privileged enough to 
you know, have a low rent place to live and all that, then we wouldn't be able to afford to do crowded. The money is not great. Yeah. So, and then, you know, there's, there's no complaints on our part because we kind of need that going in. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, I it's think not, that's it's, it's true of anyone in comics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, you know, um, it's just that thing of we need to keep us, we'll need to keep a certain amount of work going after this in order to make sure we can afford to live. And, yeah, monthly comics ain't it really. So, yeah. also, the thing is, I, I like the idea of having a chunk of a story that is a complete story. Yeah. Which you get more in a graphic novel, bookmarker type thing than month to month thing with ongoings. Yeah. It's a completely different way of presenting a story, isn't it? Especially from like a, a narrative point of view, because, oh, yes. you know, a lot of periodicals now, a lot of um, a lot of single comic issues tend to uh, already be one chunk of a whole, which, you know, is, is a completely different argument about whether that is what periodicals are for or not. But certainly people are craving that idea of having like a graphic novel rather than a, an individual issue i mean oh, yeah. a lot of it yeah a lot of it's costing as well isn't it really yeah. a lot of people are finding it hard to you know justify the the rising prices of single issues absolutely i mean you, you can see that just from crowded sales you know mm, yeah. we sell almost nothing in um in single issues but the trade's gone back for a second print yes yeah yeah where that's where the audience is increasingly honestly i'm very sympathetic most of my Purchasing is in trade now. Yeah. I'm never a single issue person. I've never understood how you like to find anything because you read it. Yeah. With a book, you've got a spine. You can see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Through everything. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's asking for paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's the higher higher risk that people are taking. Oh yeah. The rebels. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about your book then, Ro. You, uh, what book have you chosen to bring with you to the show? I have chosen the first volume of The Adventure Zone, Here There Be Gokins. <laughs> my my conversation's probably not going to sound as intellectual as Ted's did. Oh, no, I, I cannot wait to talk about this because I absolutely love the McElroys and I think they what they've achieved with The Adventure Zone as a journey that they've they've come on is is absolutely amazing. And then the graphic novel is just kind of the, the icing on the cake, really, isn't it? Oh, it really is. They they have um I just keep saying humour. <laughs> they have a, a great sense of humour between them. They they can there's something so very wholesome about just listening to them mm. and everything that they create is so full of joy. And they've managed to bring that joyfulness and spontaneity into the graphic novels fantastically. Yeah, that in itself is astonishing, isn't it? Really, because they've they've gone from being just a kind of a free-form comedy podcast where they just yeah. chat and just make jokes uh, to bumbling their way through <laughs> initially anyway like <laughs> a, a structured story format even though again that is you know in the D&D style so it is very kind of like free-flowing and uh, and and loose generally where, where it started with anyway to then moving into a more formalized structure of a graphic novel and still managing to capture an aesthetic that crosses that goes across all of the spectrum of their work which yes. is you know which is really appealing yeah i think they did really well getting carrie peach to do the graphic novel mm. because her artwork is so open and expressive in kind of the way that they are on the podcast yeah she does a great is a great visual pairing to the story that they put together yeah absolutely it, yeah well yeah it is amazing seeing how far they've come 
um, bet, uh, twice best-selling is it New York Times best-selling yep. books. Yeah. It's now yeah. they've done some Marvel work now. And they did Marvel work. They yeah, um. It's getting a uh, animated series possibly. Yeah. It's, That's yeah yeah. Yeah, it's, it must be so strange for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you how do you feel as a creator yourself? Like when you look at the the task that Carrie had in front of her to recreate uh, an auditory medium on, onto pages and panels, like how did you know how does the, how do you find that as a creative, like as a as an idea, as a concept of of being able to you know having having to do that? There's a whole lot of different things to think of with that. In that, it's such an exciting opportunity. If you're a fan of something and you're being asked to make it into a new thing, that's such an exciting challenge and opportunity, but also a huge amount of pressure. Because mm. I remember when the initial character designs were put up, and there was quite a bit of backlash on the internet. Yeah. Because they were initially three white dudes, and so there was a backlash on that, and it was kind of like, oh, we haven't done, we haven't really thought this through. Yes, we'll go back and change that. And then yeah. the second lot of stuff came through. There was a bit of backlash claiming anti-Semitism involving tacos. It's like, oh, he's, he's green. He's like, he's not green, he's blue. <laughs> but also, it, it's a, it was a whole strange thing. I felt so bad seeing all of that stuff mm. being launched at both the McElroy's and at Carrie and all that work. And stuff. And it was just, it's, it felt, I felt really bad that putting so much of yourself into this and people, it not being enough for people. Yeah. I mean, it is very difficult, isn't it? Because the the wealth of fan art that was available before Gary even put pen to paper oh, was yeah. was absolutely huge. So people already had their ideas of who these characters are and what these characters should look like. Yeah. Um. To then come in and I, I mean, I've I've heard I've read interviews with them all where they've all said this is not meant to be a canonical representation of these characters. This is meant to just be an interpretation of the story you know this is the graphic novel that we're choosing to to put out but it doesn't make anyone else's work any less valid yeah exactly but co- for content creators today it's, it can be very difficult i feel yeah. I mean, we haven't come across that ourselves because we haven't come up with anything that's been um a different medium beforehand so it's not really been a problem what we've put out has been the first and only that's reached anyone in even a fraction of the way that events have had yeah. But um, a lot of people are very, I'm not sure precious is the right word I'm thinking of, but they're, they very want, want to cling to their own ideas of what things are. Mm. And get angry if it's not exactly how they're wanting it. And yeah. I just, that must be so tiring for everybody. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially when it's something that they've initially created, especially for the, you know, the McElroys anyway. Oh, yeah, but I'm also just talking about the people that are always angry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Yeah, how they get through their day, I've no idea. Because why it should be... I think the best way to be is to find find what you can enjoy about something mm. and focus on that rather than trying to find negatives about things. Yeah, and yeah. Exacerbating it by going out and complaining about it publicly. You know, but it's going to make yourself angrier. Like, disengage yeah, if you can't yeah. find anything you like about it disengage take a breath it's fine yeah it's okay <laughs> yeah. it's all gonna be fine 
So what is it that appeals to you? What is it What is it that you love about this, uh, this graphic novel? Well, I was, of course, a fan of Adventure Zone to begin with. It's so interesting seeing how... Well, a lot of it is how they've... Um, or Clint in particular, he was... Uh, Clint and Carrie did most of the adaption part of it. So seeing how they took the first chapter, which was quite slapdash when they were doing it because they didn't really... They didn't know what, where they were going with it at that Yeah, yeah. And seeing all the little bits that they've cleaned up about plot holes and little details that um, needed retconning because it didn't necessarily make sense later on. Yeah. It's really interesting seeing how they've um, coalesced everything into the graphic novel without really taking away the essence of what the podcast was. Yeah. But by also just cleaning it up a bit. Then. <laughs> <laughs> So everything has been solidified into more like, yes, this this all tracks now. Yeah, yeah. Part of the fun of reading these graphic novels when they get released is is seeing not necessarily the changes that they've made, but the, the kind of how they pull it all together. Because like those yeah. early ones, as you say, especially they were all over the place because it was literally just they were goofing around. And oh, yeah. they they've released a book that is coherent. It's like it is a, a solid story. It's fun um it's you know this one's quite an achievement when they get to the later ones like the a lot of the the narrative legwork will have been done for them but still being able to translate that into a graphic novel is still going to be you know exciting to see isn't it yeah oh yeah it's gonna it's gonna be quite insane seeing how it's gonna progress as Mm. as a story because well for one thing i'm really excited to see um carrie's progression as an artist because from the first volume to the second one not quite limited i see how she's learned more from doing the first one and improvement of skills and everything so yeah. by the time she gets to the finale i'm very excited to see where where it all goes as, oh yeah eh, yes okay <laughs> <laughs> but some of those things i don't envy her having to figure out how to draw <laughs> no definitely not no um, and Ted, is this something that you enjoy as well? Is this like, do you enjoy McElroy's or uh, Adventures? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We have re-listened to all of the balance arc of the Adventure Zone many, many, many times while working. Yeah, yeah. That's something to put on in the background kind of thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I find that with their work. I find that... Um, especially like my bim bam i will have that on just as you know because there there are some like kind of tv shows that you have as like comfort that you you don't you know you there are so many other new shows that you need to be watching yeah. but uh but you just go back to the old favorites over and over again well this is that's exactly the same with me with my bim bam there's so many audiobooks that i'd love to listen to or so many new podcast episodes that are coming out but i just re-listen to old ones over and over again oh yeah we actually listen to um my bim bam in the evening going to sleep because it's just like um there's something very safe feeling about listening to them goofing around. It's like, ah, yes. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There's good in the world still. <laughs> yeah, there is. There is still good. Get rid of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that feels like a good as place as any to, to end the episode. Thank you both so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you both and to, and to kind of find out a bit more about you through the comics that you love. Well, thank you for having us. I was just about to say that. That's the Issue is part of the Multiversity Comics Podcast Network. You can find this show and plenty more at multiversitycomics.com. You can subscribe to the show via Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend. 
The show is on Twitter at That's The Issue, and I'm on there too at Matt Loon. Finally, you can contact the show via email at That's The Issue Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.